Hello, listeners. Welcome back to this week's episode of Deadly Ever After. Ever after. My name is Elizabeth. I'm your host here with my co-host. Uh, my name's Harry, and it's great to be back here again, Elizabeth, and talking about another one of your favorite murders. Uh, well, that's I, I don't know if I would say I have a favorite murder. That's a little weird. But this one is definitely um, iconic. I remember when it happened. I was um, a young child, but it was all over the news. So I I, I wonder, Harry, if this one got the oh, same. I think I know what it is. What is it? Princess yeah. Di. Uh, that, no, it wasn't a murder. That was a car crash. Uh, well, murder by paparazzi, but are we going to maybe maybe that if I do one, maybe I can do Princess Di. Well, that doesn't really fit the rules of the show, but I would love if you would um, actually do some research and, and host an episode. I think that would be great. Listeners, if you have any ideas um, to give Harry for a case he could do, feel free to email those to us at deadlyeveraftpod at gmail.com. But no, today is not Princess And Di. while we're on that, while we're on that, uh, maybe that's now's a good time to mention our Patreon. Why would now be a good time to mention our Patreon? Well, listeners, uh, if you're interested, we do have a Patreon. Uh, help support the channel, um, and Not a channel. Know, get oh the the show helps the show. you know be, because uh, Liz has been she's been up all night making a lot of great kind of merch and Harry uh, I asked I'm not ready to announce it I we talked about this can you not like blow up my spot before I'm ready but I'm just giving a preview for for it's not no but because it's like I'm making the merch because we're adding new tiers it this is really not how I wanted to announce this oh okay but we would you listeners don't worry there will be some great news coming up about all the different tiers. Okay, no, fuck and it. I mean, the... you've already, yes, listeners, we are adding new tiers. We now have a $1, $2, $3, $4, and $5 tiers, you know, with corresponding um, merch for those, you know, they're small increments, but you do get like slightly more the more that you donate. So um, thank you, Harry, I guess. But so, yes. And how is... much, and seriously, if you're listening to this, there's no not a reason to to not at least sign up for the one dollar tier i mean it's one dollar a month like that is pathetic yeah if you can't sign up for that and well don't you know, i think it's don't insult our listeners that's rude but it is yes for the less than the price of a gas station coffee you can um you know support the podcast which is pretty cool and and even cooler is if you donate uh three dollars a month i think that's when listeners start to hit the the stickers that you made right or is that well the, okay so if you, if you well no if you are one dollar um tier then we will shout you out at the end of every episode like pretty much every um podcast does that ours is kind of different because i will like let you suggest a case that like we have to cover so that's kind of different like if you if it, for one dollar a month it's like we shout you out at the end as being a producer and then also you suggest an idea that we have to cover so that's kind of neat, right? And then for two dollars, you get. Um... So, so that's the thing. So, guys, if you if you're if you're donating just one dollar, we will put you on the podcast. Well, that's so... not. That's well, not what people... I said. I thought I thought they're going to come on the podcast at the end and say, "Hey, hey, everyone! Like I, 
I donated a dollar and let's talk about Princess Die or something like that. Uh, you know, hey guys, I really want you to talk about Princess Die. They're not I calling in. I want to be mad at you for derailing the podcast since we're literally like four minutes in, but that actually is maybe not a heinous idea. Listeners, I would have to charge more than a dollar for that, but if that is something people are interested in, I'm open to it actually. So Harry, I guess, good idea. Mm. Mm. And it's not just about your enjoyment as well. It's about, it is about supporting Liz's lifestyle because, uh, you know, don't just, don't just tip in a dollar that, like I said, that's, you can, you can do more than that, but at least do a dollar at least. Don't do nothing. Sorry. Listeners, if you haven't already stopped listening and I wouldn't blame you. Thanks, Harry. Um, Today's case, super famous from the early 2000s. Uh, recently was back in the news. There's a new um, documentary series about it out on Hulu that I watched. Harry, you probably didn't watch it, even though I texted you about it. Today's case I thought, is... I thought I canceled out Hulu. Well, you did, but I need it for research. I told you that. Uh, okay. Hulu has all that the is... best true crime stuff. Uh, okay. That, that explains why my debit card didn't work. The supermarket the other day but well i mean i did choose the cheap one i got hulu with commercials that's okay i didn't i didn't need that bread anyway you shouldn't be eating bread you you're celiacs because you have celiacs don't don't tell that to the listeners why it's not embarrassing you're just gluten-free you can't handle it your tummy can't handle it personal sorry can you continue let's move on Listeners, today's case is Scott Peterson. Scott Peterson. Yeah. On December 24th, 2002, a woman named Karen Service noticed a golden retriever wandering through her neighborhood in Modesto, California. The dog was alone with a muddy leash attached to its collar. She knew the dog, knew it was named Mackenzie, and he belonged to her neighbor, Lacey Peterson. So Karen caught the dog and opened the gate to the Peterson's fenced-in backyard, and she left the dog in there. Mackenzie remained in the backyard for a few hours until around 4.30 in the afternoon when Lacey's husband, Scott, came home. He had been fishing all morning in the Berkeley Marina, about 90 miles away. Once he got in the house, he called out for his wife, Lacey, who was eight and a half months pregnant, but the house was empty. Lacey's car was parked in the driveway, and she hadn't made any plans without Scott's knowledge. But still, Scott didn't think it was weird that she wasn't home, so he took a shower, did a load of laundry, ate a microwave pizza, and waited. But 45 minutes later, by 5.15, Lacey still wasn't home, so Scott was growing worried. He called Lacey's mother, Sharon, and told her that he thought Lacey was missing. So Sharon's husband called the police, and they reported Lacey missing. But did they not check the hosp- local hospitals if she's heavily um, pregnant? She's probably could no, be in the I, maternity ward, right? Honestly, Harry, good point for literally the first time ever. But no, I don't think he did. Like, because like I was saying in that Hulu documentary, it's like he kind of just came home. She wasn't there, even though her car was there. And like Modesto is not, it seems like the kind of place like you need a car if you're just going to go like, you know, if you're out of bread or something, like you're not going to walk to the store, you're going to drive. But he, I guess, yeah, he got home and he didn't think it was that weird. Maybe she was at the neighbor's house. Nobody knows. Um, but no, he definitely didn't call the hospitals. I think he just went straight to, the, you know, 
Well, not the police. He went straight to her family. And he, I guess he, he, he checked around the house and whatnot because this is quite a rural area, right? No, it's not rural. No? It's like, oh, okay. no, it's, it's like pretty suburban. Like they have like this cute little house and they're, you know, their neighbors are like five feet away. It's not, you know, they have a short driveway. Like it's very like cul-de-sac-y looking kind of area. I, def- oh, I would call it suburban. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Modesto is like a, like a city, but any, there is a lot of farmland in Modesto, but not where they lived. I'll get into it. Okay. Police arrived at the Peterson's home later that evening to conduct a preliminary search. Given the circumstances, police immediately suspected that Lacey did not leave on her own. They found her purse in the house with her wallet, phone, and keys in the bag. Police did not find any evidence of a forced entry or burglary. Nothing of value was missing from the house and nothing was damaged. So basically, they found no evidence that a crime had been committed in the house. Mm. So either something, so you knew the person involved or there's a really skilled criminal who broke in or she's safe um kind of there is no there's no skilled criminal like the house is fine there's no but yeah either yes correct well i mean you don't need to reveal that i'm trying to build suspense for the audience by putting a few ideas out there so then they they're thinking oh which one is no, I, Harry, I, you, I don't need you to do that. I build suspense with the script. I build, I research, I write. We've talked about this. It has a structure. My scripts have a three um, part act script structure. Okay. Well, I mean, I honestly, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that, that Hulu is going for something um, worthwhile. Oh, now you're going to hold that over my head for the next six months. No, no. It's I like mean, $11. I just... It's like nothing. I would have liked, I guess, I mean, I guess I would have liked to have known. I guess that's the only thing because. You would know if you did any of the homework I asked you to do. But they could look, there could have been Hulu shows that I could have enjoyed. You can still enjoy them. You're welcome. We have Hulu again because of me. Like, okay. Well, and me and my debit card, but I think. It evens out. I pay other bills. Hmm. I pay bills that are more than our Hulu bill. Wow. But our electricity is more than $11 a month. Did you know that? Yes. But then did, were you counting your pedicures as part of that? Or is that? Okay. All right. Police were initially very suspicious of Scott because of his calm. I'm just demeanor. saying. I'm just saying that's, that's you two months. Lie? Harry, shut up. That's two months I could have been watching some of my favorite shows on Hulu. They're on what what are your favorite shows on Hulu? What are you trying to watch? Shark Tank? They have every season of it on there. It's not expiring for like a couple of years. Shark Tank, Kitchen Nightmares. I haven't watched any of that for a while because I thought I couldn't access it. It's on there. Okay. Go watch it. No one's stopping you. Okay. According to detectives, Scott didn't seem worried about his wife, and he wasn't overly interested in the police's search for her. Scott speculated that Lacey was going to walk Mackenzie in nearby La Loma Park that morning, and those were only her only plans for the day because it was the day before Christmas. The next day, which was Christmas, an extensive search in La Loma Park was launched for Lacey, which included police, firefighters, helicopters, canine units, officers on horseback, and water rescue units. A $25,000 reward was offered. And Santa. Sorry, that was a joke. 
a $25,000 reward was offered for any relevant information. And this reward was later raised to $500,000. Wow. But despite these efforts, no trace of Lacey was ever found. Please remain focused. And I do want to point out, this is this is brought up in the documentary. It's like, she is like a little cute white lady. She's pregnant. So it's like, of course, um, we're aware that like, you know, there are women of color and, also, and you know, minority members of minority communities that go missing and they don't receive this kind of attention. And that is um, a severe injustice, uh, mm-hmm. you know? So, so it's like, it is very nice that she, that Lacey Peterson's case got all this attention, but it is, you know, yeah, it's like uh, every missing person's case should get this level of attention. Like, every, you know, especially any pregnant woman that goes missing, but they don't. Mm. And that's, you know, I just wanted to, you know, put that in there because that it is sad, but it, that is the reality. Yeah. And and I, I, I think now's a good time for a kind of a bit of a PSA that if you do see a, a pregnant woman um, kind of strolling around, um, lost and regardless of of her ethnicity i think it's important that you call the police um i i guess so yeah police remained focused on scott peterson they questioned him extensively asking him to recount how he had spent the day on december 24th he told them that he and lacy woke up around eight had breakfast and watched the Martha Stewart show for a while, which was one of Lacey's favorites, apparently. Scott had wanted to play golf, but decided against it due to inclement weather. He went fishing instead, driving to retrieve his boat from his storage unit, which was three miles from his house in Modesto. He then drove to the Berkeley Marina, spent 90 minutes out on the water and came back home. Hmm. In the days after her disappearance, Police were flooded with tips from local people, all of whom claimed to have seen Lacey walking her dog through the neighborhood on December 24th. Lacey's parents and brother appeared on local and national news platforms, pleading to whomever had taken Lacey to give her back. Um, So yeah, so it's like basically from the jump, they suspect foul play, you know, uh, they just, they're, the family and the police are talking um, in press conferences and stuff, just like to Lacey's captor, they like from the jump. That's really the um, the leading theory. Oh, okay. Scott and Lacey were college sweethearts. They met when Scott was working as a waiter at a cafe that Lacey frequented. She thought he was cute and wrote her number on a slip of paper and gave it to a fellow waiter who passed it to Scott. Scott threw it in the garbage because he thought it was a joke. Lacey came back to the cafe a few days later and just asked Scott out in person and they began dating. Um, after graduation, they got married and Scott began a career as a fertilizer salesman, which is why they bought a home in Modesto, which is, it is a city, but there are like a lot of rural parts as it's surrounded by farmland. And as a, I guess as a fertilizer salesman, you have to be close to the, to where the, to, you know, you, whether you use a product. Yeah, correct. Like, you know, I don't think there's a lot of fertilizer salesman opportunities um, where you would like to live in Manhattan. So, yeah, uh, you know, I'm not saying I want to be a fertilizer salesman, but just a reminder that, you know, sometimes you can't always live where you want to live. Um, People can live wherever they want to live, Harry. And, you know, so if you 
if so, if you live within your means if someone had pursued a career you know where you make above a certain amount you can't afford to live wherever you want so it just comes down to decisions doesn't it mm. interesting Lacey's family adored scott for the years they were married Lacey's mother sharon publicly supported scott through the early weeks of Lacey's disappearance as we mentioned Lacey's case attracted an enormous amount of news coverage basically overnight Reporters stated the scant facts of the case on local news outlets, and the story was soon picked up by national broadcasters. My personal hero, Nancy Grace, gave her thoughts on the case every night on Larry King Live. Reporters from major news outlets traveled to Modesto and gave updates on the case every single night from the sidewalk in front of the Peterson's house. And because of this extensive coverage, hundreds of people volunteered to look for Lacey and to man the tip hotline. On December 31st, a candlelight vigil was held for Lacey in La Loma Park. Her and Scott's families stood on a podium and addressed the hundreds of people who had gathered to support Lacey. Interestingly, Scott Peterson was not on stage with the rest of his family and his in-laws. He did not address the crowd or give any sort of statement noting his concern for his missing wife and unborn son. Instead, he lingered near the back of the crowd at the edge of the park, and news crews photographed him speaking on his cell phone. Everyone wondered, who was Scott Peterson talking to, and what was he saying? A few who do you days... think it was? Well, I know who it was. Who do you think it was? Uh, I, would... yeah, I think you, you might think I'm stupid if I say it. If I say it. Um, no, just go ahead. Was it Sharon, Lacey's mom? Uh, no, because she was on the podium, like giving a speech to the crowd. That's what I meant. Yeah. 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 That was kind of stupid. Yeah. yeah. A few days I, after that, well, you, you let me, you said it, you kind of said it, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't shit on my idea, but I didn't. Then you went and... I didn't shit oh, on you. Yeah, I, incur I actively and lovingly encouraged you to participate. Well, I hear that that was stupid. That's what least. I think you're projecting because you're embarrassed that you weren't listening, but that's fine because I know that you never listened to me, so. That's not true. It is true. Okay. It's true, but it's fine because I've made my peace with it. Good. Yeah. I mean, no, no, that's not good. I mean, no. No, it is. I do, I, it I it listen. no longer has any power over me. What used to drive me crazy, I would just, it's like, you know what? I know Harry's just thinking about fuck all. And so when I say something, he's going to ask a question that I just answered, but that's fine. I actively choose to not have it annoy me as I have in the, let it in the past. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll try. I'll try to pay more attention. It doesn't matter either way. I don't care. A few days after Lacey's disappearance, a woman named Amber Fry went to the Modesto police and told them she'd been having an affair with Scott Peterson. She decided to volunteer the information after the media publicized that police considered Scott a person of interest in Lacey's disappearance. Apparently, Scott and Amber began dating on November 20th, 2002, at which time Scott told her he was single. After a few weeks, Amber suspected that Scott was married and lying to her, although the documentaries and other news articles 
give details on what made Amber suspect that. But she confronted him on December 9th, at which point he claimed he was a widower and that this would be his first Christmas without his wife. Obviously, this was two weeks before Lacey's disappearance. And upon learning this, police believed that Scott had decided to kill his wife. Well, he's Nostradamus. That's what Nancy Grace said. Very funny, Harry. Very funny. Police asked Amber to continue talking to Scott to pretend that she knew nothing about Lacey and to record all of their phone calls. Amber agreed. So it was to Amber Fry that Scott was talking during Lacey's vigil. Bizarrely, during this conversation, Scott never mentioned Lacey's disappearance to Amber. He claimed he had traveled to Europe for the holidays and that as he spoke to her, he was watching fireworks from the Eiffel Tower with fictitious friends he had named Francois and Pascal. Yeah, which is like, and and again, listeners, you guys should watch the Lacey Peterson documentary on Hulu because it's like Amber Fry recorded this. Like you can hear these words come out of his, his mouth, which is bananas. Is this, like I imagine this is like, this is in the news at the time and his name is even out there because he's the, you know, he's the husband of, of Lacey, right? So is it fair to assume that there's a good chance she, Amber, Amber, Fry would have seen like or known the news about like the disappearance or was it more local than that or did she live I literally away? just said yeah she saw the new she saw that Scott was a person of interest on the news and that's what prompted her to go to the police oh right but he's still trying like he just assumes that this news isn't somehow it's somehow shielded from her that's okay well I mean yeah because she you know the police were like hey we need you to just like keep you know, keep up the affair in case he like, you know, confesses to you or is says something really crazy and and um, incriminating. And and so she just, you know, she didn't bring it up. And so like he didn't either, I guess, which is like, yeah, just insane. Mm-hmm. Per police orders, the pair continued talking through the month of January and Scott never once mentioned his missing wife. Amber tried to goad Scott into inadvertently confessing or saying anything potentially incriminating, but he never did. Meanwhile, investigators had begun searching the San Francisco Bay for Lacey's body, near where Scott told police he had gone fishing on December 24th. Because I guess to back up, it's like, so that's his alibi, and he had like a receipt from the marina, like a printed out ticket with a timestamp. So police can't, like it is a fact that he went fishing on that day. So police are just basically what they assume. They believe he did something to her. So they're like, oh, okay, he must have dumped her body when he went fishing. Police conducted 27 searches of the area, but didn't find anything. And at this time, publicly, Lacey's family remained adamant that she was, that Lacey was still alive and that Scott had nothing to do with her disappearance. Because mind you, um, the public does not yet know about Amber Fry. Oh, right. Yeah, like the media doesn't know about her. It's just she came to the Modesto police and they're doing this little like sting operation with her. So so this uh, is before she became a media darling. I don't know that she ever became a media darling, but uh, this is before mm-hmm. anyone knows her. Yeah, she's still like a private citizen for all intents and purposes. Sadly, after 12 days of searching and 1600 tips, police didn't have a single concrete lead on Lacey Peterson. Media continued to ramp up its reporting, focusing on Scott as the main suspect. 
From the beginning of their broadcasts, the media decided Scott Peterson was guilty. They reported his every action with an air of suspicion. They questioned his alibi and they speculated constantly on what his motive could have been. Certain media programs tried to connect him to the then unsolved case of a missing woman named Kristen Smart, who had disappeared in San Luis Obispo seven years earlier. Scott had been attending college in the same town at the same time, but was in no way connected to the case, which was solved um, last year. But that's that just like I put that in there to show that just like immediately they didn't like him and they thought he was sketchy and they're like, well, maybe he's even a serial killer, which is like kind of insane. Mm. Scott's family and attorney pointed to this as proof that Scott's credibility in the court of public opinion was already destroyed. As a result, most people in America considered Scott Peterson guilty, even though the police didn't have any evidence to prove he had murdered Lacey and he hadn't been formally charged with the crime at this point. Finally, during a recorded phone call on January 6th, Scott admitted to Amber that he had been lying to her, saying, quote, the girl I'm married to, she disappeared just before Christmas. And I also think it's so weird he calls her the girl I'm married to, not my wife. Mm. Like, Harry, would you, if I was missing and you obviously would be beside yourself with guilt and grief, you wouldn't say like, hey, yeah, the chick I'm married to, she disappeared. Mm. How weird is that? No. Yeah, that's so weird. I would say, you know, my my wife of four years. Or my beautiful my wife. beloved wife of four years, you mean? Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. And my, you know, and also my the fruit of my loins, my son or daughter, or I don't know if they knew the the sex of the baby. If, oh yeah, it was gonna yeah, that's wow, Harry. I'm so impressed. Yeah, good point, right? Yeah, he doesn't even fucking mention the fact that his um unborn son is gone. Wow, I'm so impressed you caught that. Yeah, awesome. Good, great point. Yeah, unless unless he knows where they are and they're safe, then he, that then that would be the only reason I can think of. Good reason why he's no, not too concerned. No, because if he knew that where they were and they were safe, there 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 would be no case. What? He would have told the police. Unless, yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. Okay. Amber reminded uh, what? I was doing well there. I was, I was, I was following along well there for a while. Then I just can we record that part again, and I'll pretend I didn't say that. Uh, no, we Comment. don't do re-records, as you know. But uh, okay. I don't have time. If we, if I wanted to re-record every instance in which you fucked up my storytelling, it's like I we'd have to redo every episode. But it's part of our charm, listeners. Is it charming when Harry interrupts? We've probably asked you this before, but. Uh, let us know in the comments what do you think but to leave a comment you need to be at least a tier three patreon that's not true that's not true well we have to put a paywall up to try to get some revenue in i think no this it's not all about revenue like we're trying to be grassroots about it so we get our fans and then hopefully they they grow to love our content so much that they feel compelled to join the patreon okay Amber reminded Scott that he had told her he lost his wife on December 9th, weeks before Lacey disappeared. Scott responded by saying, quote, there are different kinds of loss, Amber. 
On January 21st, the National Enquirer informed Modesto police that they intended to run a story about Scott and Amber's relationship, a fact that the police had been able to keep quiet so that Amber could continue to record her phone calls. So somehow someone tipped off the National Enquirer that Scott, you know, had this relationship. And it's imperative to remember at this point that the public already hated Scott before he found out that he's cheating on his very pregnant wife. Mm. Police prepared. Unnecessary. What? Unnecessary to run that story, given that it's not going to sway their opinion anyway. Oh, it absolutely swayed their opinion. It just swayed it. It just, it didn't sway it. It cemented the fact that people hated him. Mm. Police prepared for the impending media shitstorm. They met with Lacey's parents and informed them of Scott's affair, at which point they stopped supporting Scott publicly, obviously, and they believed the police's theory that he had murdered Lacey. On January 24th, the police held a press conference where Amber Fry read a prepared statement admitting her and Scott's affair to the world. The media ramped up its attacks on Scott in the wake of this explosive information. This press conference also prompted Scott Peterson to give his first media interview. He was interviewed by um, a local Modesto reporter from like the living room of his house. And then he had a live TV interview with Diane Sawyer on ABC's Good Morning America on January 28th. You like that one too, don't you? Yeah, you know, she's all right. Diane, she's like had some pretty iconic interviews. No Nancy Grace, but. Well, no, yeah, there is no Nancy Grace. She's iconic. Would have been good if Nancy Grace had have arrived on the scene. Well, she she was, I mean, you can see if you had watched this documentary, like she's all over it. And it's kind of interesting because like the editors, they spliced in the original media coverage of Nancy, Nancy Grace from like back in the day. But then they also like re-interviewed her like the year that they made the documentary. So it's kind of both, but she she hasn't changed her opinion. So ugh, it's just, it's really good. Mm. During that interview, Diane Sawyer asked Scott about a myriad of things, including his marriage to Lacey. In one of his answers, Scott said that Lacey was an amazing woman, describing her in the past tense. This was another shocking revelation since Lacey's family had consistently stated their belief that she was still alive in every media appearance they gave and the police hadn't found her body, though they were still searching San Francisco Bay. So these botched interviews just further chipped away at Scott's credibility um, in the public eye. So that was on January 28th. So fast forward to April 14th, 2003, several months later. A couple was walking their dog along a beach in San Francisco when they came across a headless torso that had washed ashore. Police came to the scene and were unable to discern if the body was male or female due to its state of extreme decomposition. It was missing all of its limbs, including its head. Yeah. About a mile away, the well-preserved body of a newborn baby boy washed up on another shore with its umbilical cord still attached. The police tested these bodies against DNA samples of Lacey Peterson, and they were able to prove that the headless torso was the only remains of the woman who had been missing for the last four months. DNA also proved that the infant's corpse was Lacey's unborn son, whom she planned to name Connor. 
Both of these bodies washed up in the exact area where Scott Peterson had told police he had gone fishing on the morning of December 24th. Not good. Uh, yeah. Yes, correct. On April 18th, 2003, Scott Peterson made plans to go golfing with his brothers Joe and Mark and his father Lee in San Diego, California. As Scott drove to the golf course, he noticed he was being followed by various cars, which he believed were members of the media. Frustrated, since he had been, you know, kind of pursued by paparazzi news crews since late December, he began driving erratically, trying to lose them and giving them the finger in his rearview mirror. As it turns out, he was being followed by Modesto police, who eventually pulled him over and arrested him at the Torrey Pines golf course. The police went through his car and found camping gear, $15,000 in cash, his brother's ID, and four cell phones. Police drove Peterson back to Modesto, arriving at the county courthouse at 11 p.m. that night. Because, Harry, I don't know if you know the geography of California, but it's like Modesto is outside of San Francisco, which is north, and San Diego is much, much further, like multiple hours south, like towards, it's like not that far from Mexico. Oh, so, right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah. I'd, yeah. I missed the part of the way this was in California, to be honest. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. I thought this was in Washington State. No. No. An angry mob had gathered outside the jail, with people holding signs and dozens of reporters trying to get a look at Scott. In his mugshots taken that night, police noted that Scott had dyed his hair blonde and he had grown a thick beard, which he also dyed blonde. The media reported that he had done this in preparation to go on the run in Mexico, and he would have escaped successfully had the police not intercepted and arrested him. Do you think he would have gotten away with it? Um... I mean, maybe this is 2002, so it's not, you know, it, it's like you had a better chance of disappearing then than you do now. I'll say that. $15,000 goes a long way in certain parts of Mexico also, you know. Right. Yeah. In the wake of this. I mean, where would, where would you go if you were on the run? Um, Where would I go if I was on the run? Canada, because you're always going on about their health care system ew i wouldn't go to canada canis canada is so snowy and cold i would go somewhere tropical i'm with scott peterson on that but i shouldn't say that i'm not with scott peterson um i mean are we talking like in a fictional like fantasy life or like in our actual life oh either you know okay like if i have an unlimited budget um no, I, well that's that excludes out real life so maybe well no kidding unlimited. that's why i asked but if no if if I had an unlimited budget. I would go to like Bora Bora or someplace really like remote. What if you had $15,000 to live for a year? To live for a year, I would go. Hmm. I would go to Australia. Mm, well, we wouldn't get far with that, but fair enough. Well, if I went to like Northern, like Queensland, I wouldn't go to where you're from, obviously. But if I went to Queensland, I could live on $15,000. Okay. I could stay in like Maybe. a hostel. Yeah. Yeah, I'd stay in a hostel. Like, so no, I'd like win like wet t-shirt contests and like drink for free. You know, I'd I'd budget. I'd make it work. Well, yeah, I don't like. I don't like the idea of you doing that. Unless... Why not? You don't think I can win? No, I think you can win. I think you know. I just 
I don't, you know, maybe they make me. Where would you go on run, Harry? Where would you go on the run? Um, I don't know. Probably. Hmm. You know, probably where somewhere where you could blend in. You know, like I kind of have this like um, European type face, I think. So I I I would go somewhere like um, Switzerland. Um. You know, the plane ticket probably two thousand. No, it's only one way, so a thousand dollars. Then I'm down to fourteen. Then just get a get a job working behind the bar somewhere, and uh, you know, just kind of blend into society. Well, I mean, yes, you do have kind of a European face because you're pasty, but I do think your your style of fashion would give you away. You're not European men are so stylish. Oh, uh, right, no, I've got a bit of a different style. Yeah. Well, you have no style. That I don't know. I don't know about that. Maybe that's something we could get the, our Patreons to do. Is I'll I'll post a photo of my, me. No, no, you won't. No, this is about true crime. Style. No. How can we, mm. They don't want to do that. That's weird. All right. Oh, I'll make it about true crime. Yeah. Who's most Who's more stylish, Harry or Scott Peterson? Oh my God, listeners, <laughs> listeners, ignore that. He didn't just say that. In the wake of his arrest, Scott and his family tried to refute many of these facts. For instance, Scott claims he dyed his hair because he wanted some anonymity when he went out in public. And that, I mean, that I sort of understand, I guess. But also bright blonde hair kind of draws attention to you. Right, but it's all, and it's also like he probably, I mean, he doesn't know they found the bodies yet, but you have to assume like Harry, if God forbid I went missing, like, you know, they would come after you because you're my husband. And like, if they don't have any other leads except for you, like, don't you assume you're probably going to get arrested for my murder? So uh, it would never happen. So it's hard for me to even imagine that. But I mean, well, I mean, you just want to be prepared. But so my point is just like, he's probably going to have to go to court. So it's like, there is no anonymity. He's in the public eye. Like, you know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. So his sister-in-law said that Scott had his brother's driver's license in order to get a discount at the Torrey Pines golf course. His sister-in-law also explained that Scott's mother, Jackie, had accidentally withdrawn $10,000 from a joint checking account, which she returned to Scott in cash so there wouldn't be a hold on the account, allegedly. And my problem with that is that, like, Scott doesn't need his brother's driver's license because guess what? They're going golfing together. So if they're going in together, you know, the brother can give Scott the discount himself. Furthermore, right. who has a joint checking account with their, their mother? That's so weird. What? Oh, never mind. No, what? Oh, well, I mean, I I have I do have a few. I have a joint bank account with my with my mom, but excuse me? But we close it down since you know since it made the big move to the state so that's all i don't really don't even use it anymore it's just for it's just for what because well no it, it was just for you know so she could manage my money when i was living in australia and now but now that's your job you're you've taken taken well my it's mom's a, role. our money not yours yeah. not mine ours because we're a team that's right you're making fun of me. No, no, I'm not. I'm no, really you are. You're always doing these snarky little comments when I'm trying know, to be I'm, genuine. 
I'm tr no, I'm I'm trying to use inclusive language as well. Like we're a team, and sometimes I'll make a mistake and I'll say it's my money that you're controlling. But then why do you have to that? use that word controlling? Why can't you say managing? Well, I think you would use that word too. No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't because the word control triggers me. I don't want people to think I'm controlling. I'm not. But so the, I can't always avoid words that trigger you. Let's be real. But I've asked you so many times and you just don't make any effort. All right. I'll, I'll try. But I mean, there's so many words that just set you off. So that's there's not that many. I wrote them down. I literally gave you a list. There's not that many. But, you know, the main ones, controlling. Um, shrill. Shrill. Angry. Itchy. Itchy. My other problem with all these things, like all these excuses from Scott's family, is that if Scott's mother did withdraw 10 grand from their joint checking account, he had $15,000 in cash. And it's like, it's pretty weird to drive around with $5,000 in cash. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, who even yeah. has that kind of money, you know? Yeah, seriously. Scott was arraigned and pled not guilty to the murders of Lacey and Connor. The state sought the death penalty against Scott Peterson. His family hired infamous L.A. lawyer Mark Garagos, who had famously defended Congressman Gary Condit against accusations that he murdered his mistress, Chandra Levy. Harry, do you know that case? No. That's, there's a Hulu doc on that. That's really good. Gary Condit. Maybe we'll cover that one. Mm, I mean, may as well watch it now. I've got this subscription. Yeah. Yeah, you can. Um, Mark Garagos also defended Roger Clinton, President Clinton's brother of multiple DIYs. Do you, not DIYs, DUIs. <laughs> if DIY was a crime, I'd be in jail. The Peterson family paid $1 million to retain Garagos and his team, who effectively moved to Modesto for six months while they went through 30,000 pages of police documents, including search warrants, cell phone records, financial records, etc. Which I bring up just to like, you know, because a million dollars is a lot of money for anyone. Like, even if you're a well-to-do family like the Petersons, it's like, that's a lot of money. Um, but this guy is pretty legit, you know. Mm, he does the work. Sounds like it. Scott's trial began on June 1st, 2004. His team was concerned about finding an uncontaminated jury pool since the case had already received so much media attention. They moved the trial to San Mateo, which is a city closer to San Francisco. The process was plagued by what defense attorney Mark Garagos called, quote, stealth jurors, which are people who wanted to be on a high profile case in order to further their own agendas. In this case, there were so many people who wholly believed that Scott was guilty and they voiced these opinions like, in online chat rooms, on forums, in the comments section of like news articles. So they were vying to be chosen as his jurors and sentence him to death. So over the course of nine weeks, Scott's lawyers meticulously questioned potential jurors attempting to weed out, you know, any of these people who had like a personal agenda. And that is, you know, like you give me some, um, yeah, I guess, advice sometimes about being more informed about crimes and global or just news in general. Yeah. But I will say that this is a case where, you know, someone like me who um, who doesn't watch news or doesn't isn't quote unquote informed about anything is actually the kind of person you need to part to to be an unbiased juror, you know. So it's I will say 
sometimes you do need people who aren't who aren't paying attention well i i would agree with you except for the fact that you're also like the most indecisive person on the face of the planet and that is the antithesis of being a good juror so um nice try but no true yeah so i guess my lack of information or understanding of things but minus my inability to make decisions would be the perfect juror yeah so basically keep your level of dumbness but make you really opinionated and that is the ideal juror for the peterson trial right yeah okay the defense eventually chose 12 jurors and six alternates the jurors were not sequestered um and harry do you know what sequestered means um like um like they they get fitted into suits for the no uh no i I had no idea i just guessed to be honest okay well that's weird um no sequestered means like the tax taxpayer dollars will go to putting uh, the jurors in a hotel every night so like they don't go home to their families like before the case is over um but the court determined that this case was going to go on for so long and it would be way too expensive so the jurors you know just went home to their like families and you know their roommates and stuff after the trial every day which gave them the opportunity to be swayed by ongoing media coverage like if they go home and you know they turn their tv on or whatever even though it is it is illegal to research a case outside of the courtroom if you're a juror on any case that's like just you know really yes that's like pretty you know baseline american legal system um so so i would i would basically be the ideal juror but you would you would be the worst possible juror because no i'd be a great juror no because you cannot stop yourself yes i can from, from researching yes i can crimes well for the podcast i love researching but no i would be a great juror i would go home i wouldn't i would i would reflect on the days you know what i heard in court that's what i would do Mm. um well look i'm not going to convince you but i will just say to listeners liz has the self-control of a four-year-old and she would not be able that is so rude she would not be able to stop herself yes i would you owe me an apology that's fucking rude All right, case in point. Talked about we talked about leaving some of the some ice cream for me when I came home from work yesterday. Oh my god! Oh my god! You're not bringing this up right now. You agreed to do it, and then there's that uh, lack of self control coming. No, in. And when it comes no when it comes to true crime, that's like that's ice cream times twenty. No, it's. I told I'm on my period. Okay. So I'm. Wow. That's too much information. No. Well, you're fuck you. You too much information. You're bringing all this shit up. I got my period. I was PMSing and had my period at the same time, which doesn't happen to a lot of women, but it does happen to me, you know, and I had a really stressful conversation with my mom. Sorry. You can't buy your own ice cream. No, it was out. It was our ice cream. Okay. So don't pull this. No, shut up. No. I thought we were going to be able to get through one episode without fighting. And then well, you was... pull shit like this. Well, look, let's be inclusive. We pulled shit like this. We did this together. I'm going to fucking, 
I'm gonna murder you. Calm down. Don't tell me to calm down. It's okay. We'll just I'll get some new ice cream, but I mean you let's be I'm not no, we are not moving any you have to apologize to me, otherwise I'm I'm this is over. Well, okay. It might be I guess it might be over then. Unless you're I meant the recording oh. might be over. Are you threatening to divorce me? Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, oh my uh, god. Okay. This is your problem, Harry. You can't commit to anything. You're so indecisive. You've one foot in to your career. You've one fucking foot in our marriage. It's like you I'm all in this. No, marriage, you're not. Baby. No. I just I but I think it's important that we're honest in our marriage and and you know I'll I'll, I'll apologize for calling you a four-year-old if you apologize for eating all the hagen dust. No, I won't apologize. Well, that's I didn't do anything wrong. I don't fight a like an standoff. asshole like you do. Wow. That's that four-year-old mentality coming It's through. not a four-year-old mentality. Harry, it's so rude to call someone out while we're trying to do this creative project that means so much to me, and you insult me over something as trivial as ice cream. And and my big true. problem is you can't even oh. see what you've done wrong, and now you're not going to apologize, and that makes me feel like I'm crazy, which I'm not. Honestly, I'm glad that you do all recording because now I have a written record to show Joyce. I can literally play this for her and be like, am I losing it? Go, go do it. I will. Be my guest. She's, you know, the first thing she's going to, she's going to say, she's going to say, you know what, Liz, you can be a bit of a four-year-old sometimes. So that's not what she's going to say. That's not how she talks. She's professional. That's what you would say if you were a therapist. Well, and in fairness, in fairness to you, you know what she's gonna say she's gonna joyce is gonna say look liz you are a bit of a four-year-old but harry takes one to no one you are such an idiot oh huge mobs of people stood outside the courtroom wearing homemade t-shirts and holding signs that said things like scott is a murderer news crews were also stationed outside the courthouse and they attempted to interview both scott and Lacey's families as they made their way inside this trial was an absolute circus, and there was a great deal of conflicting information presented throughout the... I can't even go through the script, Harry. I'm so fucking mad at you right now. Wow. Yeah. This is... So, congratulations. You have officially derailed the podcast, which I know is your goal all along, and you've been doing a great a great job the last, what, episode <clears throat> seven? <sighs> no, I'm... I'm just the voice of the listener. Oh, for Chiming the last... Up fucking time you are not the voice of the listener well, you're not anyone you're not it. the voice of anything because you have such a weird fucking brain and you think about things that no one else thinks of well look maybe we can do a patreon poll where We're, you know Harry, everyone who subscribed to any tier even the one dollar cheapskates can vote on is harry the voice of the listener yes no or no? One- and then we'll move on and then you know if oh you'll move on you can't let go of us of anything the ice cream oh, no. is actually a great uh, no the ice cream is actually a great case of that because i did apologize so i'm not gonna apologize now and and mm. when i apologize i like to think that things are behind us but you 
you know, you bring it up, even though you, you, I ask, have you forgiven me? And you say yes. And then everything's fine. And then you fucking ambush me. No, because it's, you, days ba- you bait me. I you, don't you, bait you, you. You bait me by, by, you don't mention it. You just eat it. And then you say, oh, sorry. And then, but all you had to do was put your hand up and say, yep, I, I pigged out on it because I had my period. Wow. And then I'll drop it. Then I would drop it because I, I understand women's issues and I understand. Yeah, right. You understand nothing about women's issues. Maybe that can be a Patreon poll. To, shut up about Patreon polls. I don't even do polls on Patreon. That's not what it's for. During the prosecution's opening statement, they essentially said that Scott murdered Lacey on the evening of December 23rd and dumped her body in the San Francisco Bay and that everything he told detectives about their day on December 24th was a lie. On June 2nd, Scott's attorney, Mark Garagos, made his opening statement, during which he debunked some of the prosecution's evidence. In Scott's first interview with police after Lacey disappeared, Scott recounted their morning on the 24th. He said they had eaten breakfast together and watched a portion of the Martha Stewart show, and he mentioned there was a segment on making meringue. Mark Garagos played that very episode of Martha Stewart for the courtroom, and she did indeed mention meringue, which lent some credibility to Scott's story. Mark also told the jury that the police didn't find a single piece of forensic evidence in their investigation, accusing them of ignoring any suspects aside from Scott. In court, the prosecution openly admitted that they did not know how or where the crime was committed, but they were confident in their timeline. They theorized that Scott killed Lacey on the evening of the 23rd and dumped her body in the bay on the morning of the 24th after attaching eight pound cement anchors to each one of her limbs in order to weigh her down. Listeners should note that Scott's boat was a small aluminum fishing boat, like basically a metal dinghy with a motor. His defense attorney found it very unlikely that Scott would have been able to throw a 150 pound body, including those cement anchors, over the side of his small boat without capsizing. And Mark Garagos actually had such a hard time believing this that he purchased an identical model boat to the one that Scott owned. He drove it out to the precise spot in the San Francisco Bay where Scott had been fishing. And he videotaped one of his employees trying to throw a 150 pound weight over the side. And the video evidence proved that Garagos's employee couldn't do it without tipping the boat over. But the judge ultimately excluded this evidence from the trial, so jurors were never made aware of this fact. I think that should be excluded, to be honest. I mean, they're probably... Why? Because they're probably making it like... They're trying to prove that it can't be done, right? That it's going to capsize the boat. When they're doing it, they're like... And they're like falling over on purpose. And you know what I mean? It's not like it's not very scientific. It's more scientific than like not presenting it. Yeah, but I just think it could sway people's opinion in in a way that's not, um, you know, they, they're presenting it as, as something scientific, but it's really... It is scientific. Really it's an experiment that he, you know, that the defense attorney conducted. I don't know. I just, you know, not to not to brag about my physical strength or anything, but I think I could throw that over <laughs> without capsizing. Um, you have literally no physical strength, especially no upper body strength. I'm going to try to try to take that in a positive way. I'm, I mean it as an insult. I know, but you're also somewhat giving me a bit of a compliment on my lower body strength. No, you're, you've 
you've like chicken legs you have chicken legs and your chest is so thin that it actually it's it points inward it is concave yes yeah yeah so that's why it's surprising that i that i do have a bit of strength there because you look at my truncated body and you beer gut and you would think wow he 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 can't do that and then then also but maybe this isn't about me though um so i think it's not but somehow you always make it about you which is honestly pretty impressive a forensic computer analyst testified that lacy must have disappeared after 8 40 a.m since someone at the peterson house had been looking at sunflower umbrellas and women's clothing online on the morning of the 24th the prosecution explained this away by theorizing that Scott must have Googled this stuff to make it appear like Lacey was still alive. Because again, their theory is that she died the day before. Interesting. And, and in fairness, that does sound very stereotypical. Like, oh, I'm I'm a woman searching for things. Sunflower pajamas. You know, like... Well, sunflowers bit, were Lacey's more. favorite flower. So... Right. But that is something that he would know. I mean, not True, that you have any clue what my favorite flower is, but... I do. No, dandelions. 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 Dandelions are a weed. No. Interestingly, a woman who also rented a space in the same warehouse as Scott Peterson testified that she let Lacey use her bathroom on the morning of December 23rd. She remembered Lacey because of how pregnant she was. But because Peterson never mentioned that Lacey accompanied him to the warehouse to retrieve the boat on the 23rd, this only made him look more guilty. A few weeks into court proceedings, the trial was plagued by even more drama. During a court recess, one of the jurors, Justin Falcon, made what he thought was an innocuous comment to Lacey's brother, Brett, as they returned to the courthouse from lunch. Justin said he was ruining the cameraman's shot of, of Brett as they walked to the courthouse, and as a result, Brett wouldn't be on the news that night. Other jurors claimed that Justin Falcon was constantly trying to discuss the case outside the courtroom, which is expressly forbidden. Um, Another juror wrote a letter to the judge uh, basically telling him about this, and the judge ended up dismissing Justin from the jury, which I think is a little thin. Like that comment, I think he probably was just trying to be funny, but I think Lacey's brother was uh, pretty offended. Like that's the kind of joke like you would make and think is funny even though it's actually totally inappropriate right after his dismissal justin falcon appeared on different nightly news broadcasts explaining that he thought the prosecution's case was extremely weak and had he remained on the jury he would have voted to acquit scott peterson and after expressing these opinions publicly falcon received death threats and harassment and in this um documentary series on hulu he explained that strangers like found his address and drove to his house and like destroyed his property in his car. So that just shows again, like how unhinged people who were totally unconnected to the case, like just random people, they were like, you know, they were just obsessed with it and they just totally believed um, Scott's guilt. As the prosecution's case progressed, they showed the jury photos of Connor and Lacey's mutilated bodies. According to jurors, Scott Peterson remained stoic during this exhibition. However, journalists who were also present inside the courtroom report that this is untrue and they witnessed Scott's visceral reaction to these upsetting photographs. So that's a little bit of a conflicting uh, opinions there. Mm, I mean, either way, probably, I don't know how much that, that really proves in a sense of like 
he could, you know, he could have murdered them and then still had a visceral reaction. You know what I mean? So like, but yeah, just having is... the reaction doesn't doesn't make him doesn't make him not guilty at all. That's that is actually for once a good point. Yeah. The prosecutors called a forensic dog handler to the witness stand, where she testified that her dog had traced Lacey Peterson's scent to the boat ramp at the Berkeley Marina, which the police had used as proof that Lacey's body had been dumped there. Scott's defense attorneys unearthed evidence that these particular tracking dogs had failed their certifications twice prior to the investigation, effectively discrediting them. They were also able to prove that the object police had given to the dogs to track Lacey's scent was contaminated, since Scott had also handled it. When Lacey's body was found, the arms, head, and legs were missing, which is what led the police to believe her limbs had had concrete anchors restraining her. All of her internal organs were also missing, which a tidal wave expert for the prosecution said was due to tidal action and the pressure of the waves. So essentially, he was saying like the pressure of the water ripped her intestines out of her body. Um, but many other forensic experts have refuted this, stating that bodies can be submerged underwater for years and have all their bones and organs and cartilage intact, since aquatic life does not feed on any of those parts of the human body anyway. Which I think is a good point, because I definitely know of cases where the bodies have been submerged forever. And yeah, and like they don't, they're not, they don't look like someone cut them open, you know? Hello? Yeah. Hi. Hi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be, yeah, that would be strange, wouldn't it? Yeah. Scott Peterson definitely doesn't look like good in this case, of course, but I have to say his like defense attorney really does a good job of kind of, you know, the prosecution raises all these points and, and Mark Garagos does an effective job of, you know, discrediting every point. To that end, prosecutors also tried to explain why Lacey's body had decayed so badly, while Connors, that's the infant, was in relatively good condition. Their theory was that while Lacey was anchored to the bottom of the bay, the water eventually expelled the baby from her body and he floated up and washed ashore about a mile from where Lacey's torso was found. But like, right. even that doesn't make a ton of sense, you know? Except, yeah, I mean, it makes more sense than, than the the tidal waves, you know, ripping apart, of, uh, this is morbid, ripping apart of the body, you know? yeah but it's it's basically the same theory though they're like the water is so rough down there that like it Mm. pushed the baby out and then it like they're kind of using the same explain the same like shitty explanation to explain away both things right so you're saying he's innocent no that's absolutely not what i'm saying but I, i do think it's kind of crazy that they like it's crazy to bring charges against somebody when it's like they really can't prove what happened to her like you know that's pretty mm. the, the whole point is like a reasonable doubt and it's like well i would have a lot of doubt if they're just like yeah we don't know where it happened or how it happened we don't really know well i guess they kind of know why because of amber fry but mm. you know what i mean like i just think that's like kind of a little bit of a flimsy case personally fair enough As defense attorney Mark Garagos would say again and again, the forensic evidence linking Scott to Lacey's murder was really flimsy. The most damning testimony of the entire trial by far was that of Amber Fry, because this is where those recorded phone calls between Scott and Amber um, became public. So the jury's listening, you know, to him lie to her while Lacey had been 
you know, it's like he was flirting with her and he's asking her what she was wearing while they're on the phone together. And he's telling her that he misses her all this shit. Like, meanwhile, Lacey is actively missing. Um, yeah, that's not appropriate. Well, yeah, to say the least. So reporters and jurors all consistently agree that these recordings were what convicted Scott Peterson. Uh, the motive became that Scott wanted to be single to pursue Amber and other women and not be tied down to a wife and baby. And therefore he killed his family. On That's November, not the way. That's not the way. Thanks, Harry. Great. On November You're 1st. Welcome. Fuck you. On November 1st, 2004, both sides delivered their closing arguments after a five-month trial. The jury began their deliberations, which, which lasted for five days. On the fifth day, a juror came forward and admitted to the judge that she had Googled something regarding the case during the trial, which, as we previously said, violates the rules of the court. She was dismissed and an alternate juror was called in and the jury began their deliberations again from scratch. Uh, the jury had selected a foreman, which is basically like a spokesperson for the jury. And the foreman is the one who delivers the verdict to the judge. Mm -hmm. And initially the jury claims they chose their foreman, this guy who, because he took like a lot of notes throughout the trial and he had like a really, um, he paid close attention to details. But during deliberations, the foreman kept debating certain points of the trial, which frustrated the other jurors. And eventually a fight broke out and one of the members of the jury threatened the foreman. So the foreman approached the judge and said he didn't feel safe working on the jury and he resigned. Which is like pretty insane. Yeah. And also that's like a good, he's like a good juror because it's like, yeah, he, you know, he had a reasonable doubt. So he's like, they're debating the points of the case like i think you know that's what you want somebody like that's what you right. want a juror to do you know you want to be 100 percent sure right and they're yeah. like yeah and they're like pressuring him to just like pick a side which is okay right yeah and like in a death penalty case it's like you know it's not like you're sentencing somebody to prison for five years or so you know it's like pretty insane so he resigned and this was the third juror to be replaced during the peterson trial which again like that's pretty unheard of in a in a case so famous um the jury chose a new foreman but the jury could not reach a unanimous decision so that foreman was also dismissed and then another jury foreman was selected and this time the jury came back with a unanimous decision after only a single day of deliberating which basically mm -hmm. sounds to me like there were a handful of really opinionated jurors that wanted uh, everyone to agree on their point of view and anyone that didn't agree they basically force them out mm. that's what it sounds that's personally what i think like it sounds like you know yeah fair enough the court reconvened and the jury announced that they had found scott peterson guilty on all accounts of murder and their recommendation was that he be put to death wow. news footage of this announcement captured mobs of people outside the courtroom hugging and cheering when the verdict was announced Two jurors, Rochelle Nice and John Guinasso, were interviewed by news anchors after leaving the courtroom. When asked about how they reached their guilty verdict, Rochelle Nice called Peterson, quote, an asshole. And Guinasso said, quote, unfortunately for Scott Peterson, it's illegal to murder your wife and child in California. And it's like, mm. that's so, and it's like, this is, you know, like to just paint the scene for you it's like these these two idiots these two jurors like the they walk out of the courthouse 
onto the front steps. Reporters are there. And that's what they say. Like no time has passed. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, a, you know, he, Scott Peterson's just been sentenced to death and they're, you know, this lady's reasoning for, for ending Scott Peterson's life. She says he's an asshole. Like that's so, yeah, it just makes her skin crawl. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. I'd be, I mean, I, I would have, I would have been sentenced to death um, many times over if that was, <laughs> that was funny. That was actually funny. These jurors plus four others would later write a book about the trial profiting off of the case. John Guinasso also appeared on other news broadcasts, making jokes about the case and laughing, which is like, again, just so unbelievably inappropriate. Because it's like, who's this idiot? You know what I mean? He's just some Joe Schmo. It's like, you know, and he's kind of, yeah, it's just, they're not taking it seriously. And it's just really like upsetting kind of, even though again, like I I don't think Scott Peterson is uh, innocent particularly, but you, you know, it's like nobody wants to have jurors that are just totally biased and like vindictive yeah vindictive and not taking your again your death penalty case like super seriously right but it is because of rochelle niece that scott peterson was recently in the news um in 2020 a california court agreed to overturn his death sentence instead commuting the sentence to life in prison after peterson had spent 18 years on death row um Mm. and that's like i you know a long time ago, California uh, abolished the death penalty. So if you're sentenced to death in California, it basically means you're getting life in prison. Oh, okay. After winning that appeal, Peterson's defense attorneys filed a motion for a new trial after learning that Rochelle Niece had lied on her jury questionnaire. In pretrial hearings, prospective jurors are required to disclose if they were ever the victim of a crime similar to the case that they will be serving on. In the case of Rochelle Nice, she had once filed a restraining order against an ex-boyfriend in which she stated she feared for her life and the life of her unborn baby because she was pregnant at the time. Mm-hmm. So Scott's defense attorneys are currently arguing that this would have rendered Nice ineligible as a juror in the Peterson trial since she clearly would have had a bias against Scott, which I think is, you know, if you watch any interviews with her, she's obviously very biased against him. And not like just because she thinks he's guilty. Like, again, you call someone an asshole. It's like, that's so personal and like, yeah, you know. Uh, I mean, it's okay to throw those words around occasionally in a marriage just because it's like, you know, you want to blow off steam and you don't, you know, you still love the other person. But, but I th- I don't think it's appropriate to call your spouse an asshole. Well, no. I mean, if anyone has done it in our marriage, I'd say it's you more than me. Well, you are an asshole, and I only say it because you tell me that I'm a four-year-old and that I'm fat, and then I eat all the. I never. In house. No, I don't. I would never say that. Yes, you have. No. Yes, you have. When have I said that? I am sure I wrote it down in my journal. I'm sure I have the fucking date and time that you said it to me, but you've said it to me, Rochelle. I think yeah, I think I've said curvy. I think, but that's about. You're making it. Just you're making it worse. But yeah. You're making it worse. Uh, Rochelle Nice had to testify to this information in court in late February of this year. Uh, the judge is expected to make a decision whether Scott Peterson will get a new trial or not uh, in June 2022. So stay tuned for that, folks. Mm. Um, there are a number of alternative theories about what possibly happened to Lacey. 
According to interviews in the 2017 documentary, The Murder of Lacey Peterson, which is the one on Hulu I've been referencing, multiple neighbors told police that they saw a pregnant woman walking a golden retriever on the morning of December 24th, all at various times, 10 a.m., 10.30, etc. All of these sightings corroborate Scott's alibi that he was already on the road and route to Berkeley Marina at this time. The Peterson's mailman told police that he delivered mail to the Peterson's home on the morning of December 24th. Having delivered mail on the same route for years, the mailman was very familiar with the Peterson's dog, Mackenzie, who the mailman said barked at him every day that he delivered the mail. The mailman said the dog didn't bark on him, at him on December 24th, which led the mailman to believe the dog wasn't home, which means Lacey was out walking him, if you believe the mailman. The defense... Oh, why not? Oh, well, you know, I've had so much lost mail in the past that I don't believe any any anybody from the postal service. Well, yeah, but that's your failing, not theirs. I mean, you make a mistake with a postal code, they should yeah. be able to work that out. No, they're not mind readers. You have to, well, like, the address right. has to be right. Otherwise, yeah, your mail's never going to make it to where it's going. Well, they're not literate, apparently, either, because I write the, the rest of the address, but they still can't figure it out. That's because your handwriting looks like chicken scratch. It looks like a child. I mean, talk about four-year-olds. Your handwriting looks like a four-year-old. Okay. Yeah. Well, now you've called me a four-year-old and... Yeah. That means I, I, I don't have to apologize. That's not what that means. The defense didn't call any of these witnesses to testify at trial because they believe their conflicting times would confuse the jury. But if these witnesses are to be believed, it does debunk the prosecution's theory that Scott murdered Lacey the night before on December 23rd. Additionally, and this is a huge point of focus in the documentary, uh, the house across the street from the Petersons was burglarized the same day that Lacey vanished, December 24th. Many people, including Scott's family, believe that Lacey may have been abducted by the same people, even though there wasn't any evidence of a robbery at the Petersons' home. The burglars were caught a few days after the robbery and police reported that they had gotten the dates wrong and the robbery actually occurred on December 26th, not the 24th. But in the documentary, local reporters and camera crews argue that they were posted outside the Peterson's home constantly after Lacey went missing and they would have noticed a robbery going on, which I actually think is like a pretty good point. You know, if you have like CNN trucks and, you know, like uh, ABC camera crews and stuff like all parked in front of a house. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. 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 You're not going to rob that house. You know, right. Better one. Yeah. According to private investigators interviewed in the murder of Lacey Peterson, there were five pregnant women who disappeared from Modesto, California within five years of Lacey's disappearance. One woman named Evelyn Hernandez disappeared in May 2003, only a few months after Lacey. And Evelyn's remains were found in the San Francisco Bay in July 2003. Her head and limbs were missing. Only her torso washed ashore, much like Lacey. The remains of Evelyn Hernandez's unborn baby were never found. But like, as I alluded to earlier, unlike Lacey, the media makes almost no mention of Evelyn Hernandez's murder, which remains unsolved to this day, um, which I think is so tragic. So yeah, that's um, the case of Scott Peterson. Uh, what do we think, Harry? Mm, I think he was a bit of an asshole doing all of that particularly the cheating you know yeah i well, mean well the murder the murder more than the cheating to be clear but that wasn't yeah i mean i think the evelyn hernandez thing is really spooky 
And there was like another lady in the documentary that talks about like she owned a clothing store and she was she was really pregnant at the time and she was almost abducted by these two guys. And it's like all in the same time frame, you know, and so it's like that is kind of crazy. But at the same time, it's just like who's going to kill this like pregnant lady, some random serial killer or like, yeah, her piece of shit cheating husband. Mm. And as far as the robbery like if Lacey, if you saw a robbery going on in the house across the street, you're not going to go over and confront them unless you're like Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino or something like and you have a gun. Like if you're yeah. if you're a super pregnant lady and, and Lacey was really young, she was like 26, you know, she wasn't like she's she was young and she was super, super pregnant. So it's like you're not going to go over and confront someone if you can see it from your house. Like what I would do, you know, I'd call 911 like from the safety of my home and report it yeah i wouldn't go like be like hey hey robbers like what the fuck is going on over here you know yeah yeah definitely don't don't do that yeah so i don't think she would so i just find that like theory kind of preposterous but i will say it's like i don't think i would have been able to convict scott peterson if i had been on the jury just based on their on the state's evidence because it was such a thin case right right so but then again you know yeah. But I do think he's he's probably guilty, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, that was a good one. I thought you, your, your research was was really great. And I think, it, you know, I take I take it back what I said about the Hulu stuff. Like, I think it justifies the Hulu. Yeah. Totally. Told um, you. It's great. There's a bunch of, like, really good true crime docs on there that you should watch. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so I think you did a great job, Liz. And thank you. Um, you know, if and, you know, I just want to want to be clear to the listeners and to you that you know i love you and that you know i'm sorry for calling your four-year-old um, thank you uh you know it doesn't change the way i feel about you so thank you you know even if we disagree sometimes we're you know time. we do it yeah we we do it out of love you know that's where it that's where it all stems from so um so just we, we need to always keep that in the forefront of our minds i think and that's that's a real learning for me too well, thank you, Harry. I appreciate you apologizing. I am not in a place where I'm ready to apologize. Um, but yeah, I, I, I appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you listeners for bearing with us. That was kind of a long one, but I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, like Harry said, I, I do work really hard on these. You know, I, I watch the documentaries, I read books, I read articles like so. Um, yeah, please let us know on social media what you thought of that. Um, tag us, you know, we're on TikTok, we're on Instagram. As always, please rate and review us um, on iTunes. Send us an email, join the Patreon. Like this is really, you know, it's a creative endeavor that's really near to my heart. So I, I want to hear from you. I have to force Harry to listen to this stuff. He doesn't like true crime. So I would love to discuss it with people that are like actually interested. Yeah, I, I, I like it. You, right. you, you're trading. Okay. I'm trying, I'm trying to understand your passion for it. Thank you. Um, you're not and... trying that hard, but thank you yeah i'm trying yeah i'm trying all right thanks for listening everybody okay until next time 